Life in Accounting, the Where Accountants Go podcast. Life in Accounting is the podcast for everyday heroes like you working in the accounting profession. Are you ready to hear from accounting influencers, thought leaders, visionaries, and other professionals leading change in the accounting world? Then stay tuned for Mark Goldman, a CPA, the owner of Where Accountants Go, and your host. Welcome to Life in Accounting. I think the biggest thing you can do if you're really interested in a career in a non-for-profit is to volunteer. Hello everyone, I'm Mark Goldman, a CPA and your host for Life in Accounting, a podcast production of whereaccountantsgo.com. That clip was from Isaiah Sapien, the CFO for Brighton Centers, a San Antonio-based nonprofit that provides a variety of services for children and families. We've been a little light on highlighting careers with charitable or service-based nonprofits recently, so I figured it was time to round out the guest lineup with someone that spent a substantial amount of their career in that space. What I didn't know, though, when I originally invited him is that Isaiah is really an entrepreneur at heart, even though he's approaching 20 years with Brighton now. You'll notice in the beginning of the interview that he definitely, definitely didn't take the straight path into the nonprofit world. He actually had three, yes, that's three different businesses prior to joining Brighton. It really is an interesting story. If you enjoy this episode, please visit us at whereaccountantsgo.com to subscribe to the podcast. Or of course, you can do so on your favorite podcast app as well. Also, we have a job board for the Texas area and links to all the prevalent certifications in the accounting world. That site is www.whereaccountantsgo.com. With that, let's go ahead and get started. Here's Isaiah Sapien from the not-for-profit Brighton Center. Well, hello, Isaiah. Welcome to the show. Hello, Mark. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thank you for making the time for this. Well, for our audience, I invited Isaiah Sapien on the show because I always try to round out the guests in terms of making sure we showcase really all the different career paths and accounting background can open up for you. And frankly, I've been a little light in the nonprofit sector recently, so I thought Isaiah would be a very timely guest for us. Isaiah is currently the CFO for Brighton Center, which is a child services-related organization, and he's been there a while, so he's going to be able to share quite a bit of insight with us into the nonprofit space. I know that space isn't right for everyone, but for those that are looking for mission or purpose-led organizations, it really can be a good fit. Isaiah, before we get into your current situation, though, I know it wasn't exactly a direct path for you, so I want to start at the beginning. What initially caused you to think that accounting might be a possible good career for you in the first place? That's a very interesting question, Mark. Actually, my path into the accounting profession really was unconventional. As far as I know, I didn't really have, you know, had my sights on accounting from day one and I graduated from college in, you know, four years and started embarked on the path to becoming an accountant and a subsequent CPA. That just wasn't my path. I kind of took a roundabout way of doing things. I remember when I was in high school, I was, uh, this was in Denver, Colorado. I 
move a lot around the state of, or basically all over the United States. My dad's a minister, and so we were in different locations. I graduated from Denver, Colorado, and I'll never forget the day that I walked into the counselor's office, and I wasn't exactly, I would say, a stellar student, and I wasn't that bad. But I go in and I say, listen, I'm thinking, this is along my sophomore, I believe, junior year, I said, you know, I'm thinking about uh, perhaps attending college. And I'll never forget her reaction. I mean, after she picked up herself off the floor, you know, almost laughing, she says, you know, I'm not sure that's exactly the best thing for you. And as a result of that, I wound up actually, my last two years in high school were actually spent in a trade school going, uh, practicing to be a machinist. After I got out, I went on ahead and uh, moved into a job doing machine shop work. And I was there, I would say, oh gosh, that lasted about, oh, I don't know, five, six years until one day I was sitting there at two o'clock in the morning in Denver on a cold winter day. Must have been 10 degrees below zero outside. And I was watching a heart fall into a basket. And I was sitting there just going on and on and on. And I said, you know what? There's got to be a better job than this. No disrespect to machinists. It's a very great profession. It just wasn't for me. So I decided I was going to move back to Texas. And all this time in the back of my head, you know, I had that reaction that that counselor had had in high school of me wanting to go to college. And it just kind of set my path and the determination and gave me the grit and the courage that I needed to actually try, you know, try to do something to better myself. And so I went and enrolled in the junior college, and I graduated from there. Then I went to a four-year school and graduated, actually graduated from Texas State University down the street here in San Antonio. So after I got out of there, it was really a really tough time. Well, let me back up a little bit. Like I said, I worked five, six, seven, or eight years before I actually got into college. By the time I finished, I was actually in my early 30s. So I was not a typical student, you know, coming out at age of 21 or whatever that age is. And it just wasn't the typical path. And in that respect, it was very unconventional. So at any rate, I went in and I decided to go to work and couldn't find a job. And it was a time that it was extremely difficult to find a job. Finally found one in San Antonio, here in San Antonio, I should say. And I started working. It was a milk company, produced milk. And the auditor or the auditors that were auditing that firm liked the work that I did, and among other things. And they came to me and said, listen, would you like to come to work for our firm? And I said, why not? So I went there and they encouraged me to take the CPA exam. And before I knew it, I had passed that. Fast forward a few more years after that, I had worked for a couple more firms, CPA firms. And I decided at that moment that I was going to, after that period of time, I had had enough experience, and I was going to go ahead and try to open up my own shop. So having done that, I secured a handful of clients, and I opened up my very small one-person or two-person, I should say, company, you know, that provided compilation reviews and tax service and that sort of thing. From that point forward... I had an opportunity, one of the clients that I was providing services for had a cap and t-shirt company, and they decided they were going to spin off a small 
company and, and devote that company only for selling caps and t-shirts for kids and basically all over the nation. So I asked if it was available because I really thought I, at heart, I have always been an entrepreneur. I really have always loved doing things on my own and by myself. And so I felt like this was a great opportunity to do that. So I asked and he said, why not? So he sold me part of the business. And before you know it, you know, I had a small cap and t-shirt company that sold caps and t-shirts all over the nation. I had a staff about, I would say, at one point, I had about 20 people working for me between, you know, warehouse and telemarketing folks. And so it was a, you know, it wasn't a huge company, but it was large enough for me to have a lot of fun with. So I decided after about three years of doing that, that I wasn't exactly being extremely successful at it, but I was, you know, paying the bills. And I said, you know, I need to change course here because this is really not working out the way I had envisioned. So at that point, I went on ahead and sold that company and continued in the consulting area. At some point, shortly thereafter, I picked up a client called, at that point, I believe their name was Garbage Gobbler. And now it's Waste Management. I believe they bought them out eventually. But at that point, it was a company called Garbage Gobbler. And they contacted me because they said, you know, we have a situation here with two people who do, oh, I would say roughly two weeks worth of work each in order to come up with a report that summarizes many reports. So they said, is there any way that you can come in and streamline all those operations and do it by linking them all together with, a, say, a spreadsheet of some sort so that we can do this in a more efficient manner? So, you know, looking at it and being, you know, a little bit younger and <laughs> not afraid to take uh, risks, you know, I said, sure, why not? Not knowing a single thing about spreadsheets, not knowing anything about what that would entail. So I took it all back and I studied it hard for a couple of weeks, picked up some techniques on my own related to spreadsheets. At that time, I believe Lotus 1, 2, 3, that, that really dates me, but <laughs> Lotus 1, 2, 3 was a big thing. And I got it, I learned it as best I could, and went back to them with a plan and how I was going to accomplish that. They accepted it, and in about, uh, I guess about three weeks, I had finished the project. And essentially, what had taken two men roughly two weeks, you know, over 160 hours to do, was really whittled down to one person doing it for just a couple of days. So 160 to 16 hours. And they had, it was just amazing in terms of, you know, how much efficiency that had given them and how much money it was saving them. And that really opened my eyes. Not only did it give me an opportunity to learn how to work spreadsheets and understand how they worked and so forth, but it also just made me realize how important, how vital all these tools, all these technology tools are for an organization. You know, of course, it's really much larger today with the technologies that we have. But back then, you know, even those simple tools did a fantastic job of really helping organizations get more efficient and save a tremendous amount of money. So I continued doing that for a while. And at the same time, or right around that time, a Brighton Center came calling. They were at that time called Brighton School. So they come to me one day and they just said, listen, we need help. So I was talking to the CEO and, and she said, if we cannot get our reporting 
straightened up. They had a big government grant that was, oh, I would say comprised 80% of their operational budget. And they said, if we don't get straightened up in time, you know, we're behind six months. Our bank statements are all off and unreconciled. We really need help from somebody. Would you be able to help us? So I took the gig. I decided to go ahead and take the job and went in there and helped them. I, you know, I'll never forget walking into the office one day, very late in the afternoon, and the program director at the time, who was not an accountant, had a long table, must have been about a 12-foot table, and end to end, there were reports sitting on that table that were comprised of financial information that was needed to complete the reports that were needed for this particular grant, and they were all behind. They were behind six months or more, and he was at his wit's end. So I sat down and I looked at all of it. And again, relying on the spreadsheet skills that I had learned with Garbage Gobbler, you know, I put it all together and again, was able to get all the reports all caught up, help them with the, you know, processes as far as accounting, new accounting software, new technology. You know, I helped install a network and so forth. And it really, really helped them. They were very impressed. And she then said, hey, listen, you know, we'd love for you to stay. I said, well, that would be great, except, you know, I have a little consulting company and I really enjoy being on my own. And they then uh, negotiated with me so that, in essence, I would be able to not be a typical staff person, you know, have a tremendous amount of flexibility if that's what I needed, but as long as I was in their employment, which is what they wanted. And so I said, you know what? Why not? I'll take a year at a time and we'll see where we go. 20 years later, I'm still there. Wow. Let's pause right there for a second because, wow, that's an amazing story. You're a hardworking guy. You started businesses three different times, it sounds like. You started an accounting that's, practice. The that's correct. And then, okay. Wow. When you started the accounting practice the second time, I mean, had you kept some clients from the first time or you just started from scratch all over again? No, I basically started from scratch over again. I typically, when I do, you know, close something down like that, it, you know, I make sure the clients are in good hands and, you know, we can move forward and they can move forward as well. It's one of those things where you, you just want to make sure all that is done the right way. Okay. <laughs> You were really searching for the right things there for a while. That's wow, that's interesting. Well, I do want to get into Brighton, but I just I had to ask because I had no idea there were that many, you know, maneuvers in there, if you will. That's interesting. You know, one of the things I learned through that journey is essentially that you never know as long as you keep your eyes open and just don't seal yourself off from everything. Just open your eyes and take advantage, uh, take challenges, take some risks. You know, that you just never know where that's going to wind up. In my case, it was extremely beneficial, you know, because had I not learned the spreadsheet skills that I needed, you know, I might have not been able to secure Brighton, which means I might have not ever, I might not be here today. It's certainly not in this role anyway. So it's just those things where you have to just kind of connect the dots, leave yourself open, and don't turn down opportunities because you just never know where it's going to wind up. Wow. So exactly when did you, or you know, what year did you join Brighton, and, and what size were they at that time, and then you know how does that compare now to 2018? Oh goodness, it was 1999 that. I think I hired on first as, actually, that's when I started the contract, 98, 99, one of those two years. And I did contract work 
for them for about almost a year, and then I was hired shortly thereafter. It's been close to 20 years at this point. Okay. What was the organization like back then versus the size now? Was it similar size? Has it grown much? Oh, no. I mean, goodness, it's a long, even just 20 years, that organization has really come a tremendous way. We went through, as with any organization, through its ups and downs. And, you know, it's just been a, such a fascinating, interesting tale, unless you're on the inside looking out. You know, it's, sometimes it's hard to describe it all. We wouldn't have enough time on this podcast to be able to do that. But it has been a very interesting journey. They probably were a little bit over $2 million in budget revenue when I joined them, if not a little less. And today, the last budget statement that I believe for this year is a little over $8 million. So, you know, in the last 20 years, you know, it, it's really the budget size has increased tremendously. The beauty of it all is it's not just the same government grant that while it has helped sustain the organization, you know, they've actually, the programs, especially in, over the last 10 years, we had a, another, the last CEO that we have right now, Kim Jeffrey, when she took over. I mean, it's from that point forward, things really started accelerating. And it's beautiful to watch an organization grow like that and to have such talented people, such as our leadership team and the executive director and everybody be in sync, pulling for the same mission. And it's amazing how, you know, growth accelerates under those circumstances. And prior to that time, you know, it took a while for it to actually stabilize to the point where we could get it to that solid foundation. But it has been a very interesting journey. So tell us, because I, I know a little bit about Brighton, but I know that I don't know everything that Brighton does. So <laughs> what all types of services does Brighton provide? Well, okay, our three primary services, you know, we have our largest program is our early childhood intervention program. They provide, you know, services for children from birth to age three. And that is the one that's tied to our government grant that I mentioned a little while ago. The interesting thing about all of that is, you know, as the state budget has shrunk and it put a lot of pressure on on programs like that. And, you know, our direct dollars that we've secured from those grants that used to be pretty liberal in the past, you know, they've pretty much uh, shrunk and have clamped down on so many things to the point where you know, we are essentially raising a tremendous amount of that revenue to run that program at this point through our insurance billing revenues. But it has been, you know, been challenging. The state in its, you know, when you're talking about budgets and politicians and so on and so forth, it's really difficult sometimes to try to maneuver your way through those things, you know, financially and make sure that the program continues to do what it needs to do. But that's our largest program. We have what we call our ECE program, which is our, that program used to be called Bright Beginnings, you know, a number of years ago. But that's our child development center and it's nationally accredited. It's a fantastic program and children have a place to learn not only what normal, you know, kids of that age learn, but they also share a space with children with disabilities as well. You know, they're not excluded from that environment. So we feel like they have a tremendous opportunity to learn from, you know, other children who have disabilities or delays or whatever the case may be. It's a very inclusive program. We're very proud of it. We have another program called CESS for short, but what we do there is we provide support for families out in the field for, you know, parents that have a person with a disability 
whether it be in school or just as part of the household. And we help them with, you know, their arts and just advocating, helping them advocate for their kids and their family members in the community. So those are our three primary programs that we have in the organization. How has your job gotten easier over the years and how has it gotten harder? You know, I think that is with with any organization, leadership is challenging. You know, the more you have, you know, people come into the organization, the larger it grows, the more things have to be put into place and the more you have to learn how people work. So in terms of challenges, I think, you know, that's one of the things that really I think has challenged us as an organization. How do you grow and how do you continue to grow and continue to help people so that we can all work to the same end goal, which is, you know, our mission? So I think if there has been a challenge, it's probably one of the largest challenges that we've had to face. Okay. What surprised you when you moved into, you know, working with a nonprofit or if not, Anything there? I mean, what do you think someone coming from the commercial world would be surprised about in moving into a nonprofit? I think they would be surprised at how many hats people have to wear. Some of it because of funding. Some of it because that's just the way nonprofits have traditionally worked for many, many years. They've always had to make do with what they had. Now, you know, having said that, things are improving tremendously. I mean, one of the things that I would like people to know out there is, you know, for the longest time there's been this stigma of, well, you got to work for a nonprofit and, you know, you're going to be underpaid and, you know, so those kind of ideas and those kind of feelings really not only cause a talent shortage, but it's simply not true anymore. Perhaps it was true some time ago, but at this point, we have a tremendous amount of resource. We, I shouldn't say we have a tremendous amount of resources, but we have resources to pay what the market bears. And we should have, you know, the potential to attract any kind of talent. And there's a need for talent to continue making these organizations be as efficient as they can be and as effective as they can be. And, you know, anymore, there shouldn't be that stigma of, well, it's a nonprofit and you don't need to know much or anything. It's, it's so challenging. And there's a tremendous need for talent. I think that I read something, in fact, today, something about foundations only fund like 1% for continuing education or development of leadership in nonprofit, non-for-profit organizations. And that's, you know, really sad because there's a tremendous need for that. There's a need to fund talent, to teach it, to grow it, and to help an organization reach its goals and its mission. So I think that, you know, from the talent perspective, and those things have changed, but people need to realize that folks out looking for a job or thinking about accounting as a profession, that it is a challenging environment, and it's you can learn so much. And on top of that, the icing on the cake, of course, in my opinion, anyway, is you're doing something great for the community. You know, you're really giving back, even though it's indirect, if you're, say, a CFO or an accountant, staff accountant, or controller, or whatever that may be, you're still supporting the mission of that nonprofit, and it is something that's very, very worthwhile. And it's not like it used to be, where you have to do it at a price. You know, things are very competitive nowadays, and in terms of wages and salaries and benefits and so forth. And I think 
folks out there need to understand that, that that has really totally changed in, in a lot of cases. I'm not saying that there's organizations out there that just don't operate the same way, but I believe things have changed and they've changed for the better. Thank you. That's a good point to make. That really is. And Actually, it transitions into one of the other questions I wanted to ask you. From my experience in the last few years talking with accounting students and people you know, just starting their career, and then from what I'm seeing, reading different surveys and studies, there is, or there seems to be, at least to me, a greater interest in getting a position where you feel like you're making a difference in the world and the organization that you're with is making a difference in the world. You know, whereas maybe in the earlier generation, I just, I want to be controller, CFO, or partner. <laughs> yeah. That's right. <laughs> There's a little, little more concern about, you know, what are we really doing here? How are we making a difference? So we're seeing, you know, more interest in nonprofits. If someone does want to build their career in the nonprofit space, you know, and they, they like to make themselves, you know, more attractive for a nonprofit to hire. I mean, is there anything they can do to prepare or any specific background or activities or anything they can do to make themselves a more attractive hire, basically, for a nonprofit? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yes. I think the biggest thing you can do if you're really interested in a career in a nonprofit is to volunteer. I mean, that's probably the simplest, most direct way that you can get your hands dirty you can see how things work from the inside, and it not only allows you to do that, but it allows you to explore whether or not that is what you want to do or if it's even the mission that you want to care about. But the volunteering is a great way of getting your hands ready, as I said earlier, and really understanding what that organization does and knowing whether or not it's something that you would like to do. You know, you can volunteer in a variety of ways. It's that when you think of volunteerism, it's not necessarily being out there planting plants and doing that kind of stuff, you know. There are special events that require volunteer services. There are projects, special projects, you know, and there are even... You can volunteer as a board member if you have enough experience. You know, you can just go and lend your expertise as a financial person looking at things from that perspective. And there is always a need for that kind of expertise on a board. So there's a variety of ways of doing it. I think the best thing to do is just to go knock on the organization's doors, ask to speak to the development director if they have one, and say, I would like to volunteer. Is there anything that I can do? And I think that would really really help you understand whether or not that is the mission you want to follow and support, and if it's even the style of accounting or a career that you want you want to pursue. Okay. You know, actually, you made me think of something. I know Brighton has many you know, activities throughout the year that, you know, that they look for participation from the public or volunteers for. Where would be the best place for people to find out about Brighton and activities that are coming up if they happen to be you know, in the South Texas area? Absolutely. You can look us up on our website, you know, uh, www.brightonsa.org. That's brightonsa, as in San Antonio.org. And just go to the website there and you'll see, pretty much you'll find any piece of information you need, whether it's, you know, who to contact for volunteerism, if that's what you wish to do, or volunteer services or other services, just to find out more about the organization in general. Okay. Perfect. I want to make sure we got that on the audio recording. (laughs) Well, thank you. (laughs) Of course. 
Well, before <laughs> I get to the final three questions, actually, there is one more thing I wanted to ask you because you've had a dynamic career, you know, done many things. If you could go back in time and give your younger self just one piece of advice, what do you think that might be? You know, uh, that's a hard question to narrow down to just one piece of advice. <laughs> I think I needed a lot of advice as I was, you know, growing up in, in this profession. But, you know, I think if there was one thing, I think had you asked me this question, you know, five years ago, I may have had a different answer. I think today, you know, I think that it would be to get a mentor, have somebody that has been in the profession before, and has worked for, if it's a non-for-profit, a non-for-profit mentor, somebody that can really help you with your questions, you know, or the, with your directions, or if you have doubts that you can talk to. They may be difficult to find, but they're worth their weight in gold because, you know, that, at least for me anyway, it was something that I think I would have really profited from. And it's, you know, it's all the vogue nowadays. I mean, it's, you know, get a mentor, get a, coach, you know, and those are good things. Those are really, really good things because they really help keep you focused. They help you keep on track and become the success that you want to become and accomplish the things you want to accomplish. So if I had one thing, I would do maybe a little differently to do that. Okay, perfect. I have to ask you this. So do you feel that high school counselor did you wrong or do you feel that she was just part of the path that you were supposed to take? Oh, no. I think she did a great service for me. I really do. I think that had that not happened in my life, chances are I may not be here where I am today. I think that that served as great motivation for me in so many times and things got really, really difficult because they inevitably will. And I was going through challenges that, you know, made me doubt whether or not I was in the right path or I was doing the right thing. You know, I'd always had that mental relapse to that scene, and it really provided me with a tremendous amount of uh, energy and grit to be able to get through whatever I was getting through. I am forever grateful because she she did that. I think that had that not been the case, you know, I'm not sure that I would have gotten here. But that was just a way of being able to, or that was something that really motivated me and made me say, I'm going to do this. Okay. Thank you. I just had to ask. I, I tried to ask something about that earlier, and I was going to leave it alone. But based on the way the interview went, I thought that would be appropriate. Thank you. Great. Mm -hmm. Well, final three questions. First one is usually the easiest. From a career perspective, what's been your proudest moment? Oh, my goodness. Okay. Well, I think from a career perspective, joining Toastmasters, was something that really helped me in my career. If I had to go back and just kind of give you the kind of personality that I am, and I, you know, I, I'm not really a outgoing person and, you know, that get out and make public speeches at just a drop of a hat and those kind of things. So, you know, have, actually joining Toastmasters, which is a public speaking organization, really helped me open up and make the steps that I needed to make in order for it to be more of a successful career. I think that without that, without passing the CPA exam, I think that, you know, those moments are, you know, being able to go up there and make the first speech, uh, being able to get that certification, I think were very, very proud moments for me on a personal level. Now, if you're asking me about an organization, 
you know, in terms of my career within, say, in this case, let's just talk about Brighton. You know, I think that my proudest moment in its development is what I get into too many details is that I was able to take a stand at one point at the threat or cost of my job if it had worked out in that direction. But I took a stand and I said, and this happened a long, long time ago at the very beginning of the organization life when I was there. But if I hadn't taken that stance, it was an ethical stance. It was about what was right and what was wrong. I, you know, if I hadn't taken that stance, I could not have lived myself. But because I did, even at the threat of perhaps not having further employment, <laughs> took a big chance and a big risk that I did it and I stood up for it and it worked out perfectly fine. I will go as far as to say that had I not done that, I know this sounds really like a big statement, but Brighton would have had a very challenging time uh, to survive through that phase of its development so, so long ago. The government was really looking at it and, and saying, hey, you, you need to do more. You have to set up more internal control processes. And there were certain things that were going on. So being able to sit there and say, no, that's wrong. This is what should happen. And taking that stance, regardless of what happened to me, and it allowed the organization to pass through that challenge to that stage and then grow to where it is today, impacting the thousands of children that it impacts today has been extremely gratifying to me as far as my career is concerned. So, yeah, that has to be the top one on a professional basis. Thank you for sharing that because I think that many of us accountants you know, find ourselves in that position at some point in our career. And I think the more of the long-term stories about how you know, taking the right stand and doing the right thing had long-term benefit, the easier it becomes for all of us. So thank you. Thank you. Well, tell us about a mistake you made and, of course, what you <laughs> learned from it. <laughs> but the bigger, the better. We like that. Uh, Oh, goodness. Yes, those are tough to admit. You know, and it actually, it's a mistake that didn't look like a mistake, but I learned so much from it. And it goes back to the experience that I talked about earlier, or spoke about earlier, I should say. When I opened up my cap and t-shirt business alongside a consulting practice, it was something that I was just trying. I thought that, you know, it's a mini manufacturing and selling entity. And so how hard can it be, you know? But it was difficult. I learned so much from that experience. Now, I was able to, fortunately, get out without hurting myself too badly. And I, I paid everybody everything I owed. So I was very happy with that. But uh, I will tell you that I learned a lot from that. And I consider it a failure because, you know, I, clearly if it wasn't a failure, I'd, I may still be in, in that business today, you know. But it taught me so much. It taught me so much about myself. You know, it made me realize that I needed to get better at interacting with people to learn how to to speak in public more, to self-promote. It taught me I was very efficient in those areas. It also taught me I needed more to learn more about leadership, to learn more about managing. And those are tough things to admit and to learn. But I will tell you that had it not been for that, what I call failure, I today, well, I would not have worked on those as hard as I have, and things may be totally different today. So it was, again, a blessing in disguise, just like that counselor laughing at me. It's just one of those things where I feel like if you can learn from your mistakes and make yourself a better person and a better 
employee or a better entrepreneur or whatever the case may be, then it's well worth, you know, whatever it costs you to go through that. But in my mind, that was not a success. And, you know, I feel like, but had I not gone through that process, things would be different today. Well, thank you for sharing that. You're right. It's hard to admit those things. <laughs> thank you for sharing that. <laughs> well, last question, and then we'll go ahead and close it down. What has been the best piece of advice that you have ever received? You know, the best piece of advice I've gotten is to ensure that I have a passion about what I do and to make sure that I continue to take calculated risks or to take calculated risks. You know, because if I think that if I hadn't received that advice and just gone and done things the way I usually did, then, you know, again, things may be totally different today. But I think learning how to take calculated risks and not being afraid to make mistakes, to be passionate about what you're doing, uh, will overcome a tremendous amount of things that may not be exactly going your way, a lot of challenges that come your way, because it's not going to be an easy thing regardless. But if you are passionate, if you're engaged, if you're not afraid to make mistakes, it helps you reach your goals. So if there was any advice that I got that I felt was the best advice, it would have to be those two things. That is perfect, Tim. That's awesome. Thank you very much, particularly for accounting. Perfect advice. <laughs> <laughs> well, for our audience, this has been Life in Accounting, a podcast production of whereaccountantsgo.com. If you haven't yet visited the website, please do so. Once again, that's whereaccountantsgo.com. We're going to have the show notes there, of course, but we also have links to all the primary certifications for accountants as well as review courses, and we have a job board for the South Texas area. Once again, that's whereaccountantsgo.com. On that note, Isaiah, do you have any final thoughts or words of wisdom you'd like to leave the audience with? Of course. You know, just as I said earlier, just get a mentor, learn how to self-promote in a good way, take risks, love what you do, especially love what you do. I think that if you can do that, you're going to be well on your way. Perfect. Well, thank you again to the audience for joining us. We will see everyone next week. There's more to come.